Hello and welcome to Let This Mind Be In You. I'm Brother Michael D'Angelo back with you. Uh, so if you've been watching the uh, program, you've been seeing that uh, here on the YouTube channel, we've been going through some live videos uh, on a couple of Friday nights, past couple of Friday nights where we've been going, been going through the book of Hebrews. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to do that uh, as far as a live broadcast here coming up on this Friday. So I wanted to make time here and we're just going to make a, a video or two and um, start keep going through Hebrews. Um, so if you were, we're going to jump right in to make sure we're um, making good use of time here. Um, if you joined me last time for when we finished up in Hebrews chapter six, um, we, we read through some things and I wanted to go back because um, Wednesday night we were gathering with our, our local church body. And um, when we all came together, we were reading through some different things. And one of the men uh, started reading in uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And when he did, it, it reminded me of a, um, a portion of Hebrews chapter 6, and I had never seen it before. So let's, let's quickly go over that. Uh, first, in Hebrews chapter 6, in verse 19, it says, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So this uh, gives us the first mention here, or they had actually mentioned uh, Melchizedek before in Hebrews, but uh, this is going right into chapter 7. But I wanted to mention this. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll obviously get here as we study through the book of Hebrews. But look in verse 18. Hebrews 10 and verse 18. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. It's talking about the remission of sin. There is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he had consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So when I read there in verse nine and verse 20, when it talks about through the veil, that is to say his flesh, it brought uh, this vivid picture of just what Jesus did on the cross. So he removed that veil. Remember, we spoke about that last time. Um, the verses that we mentioned were Matthew chapter 27 and verse 51, Mark 15 and verse 38, and also Luke 23 and verse 45. We talked about how the veil was ripped from top to bottom, but the picture came through, especially when I read there in Hebrews chapter 10, the picture came through of just how beautiful of a picture it was as well of the, the veil being Jesus Christ's body that was broken for us. Um, it, it's amazing just to think about that, but by removing that veil, by his veil, his flesh was torn and ripped and, and he bled and died for us. Um, he made access into the throne room of God. So now there's no more veil. There's no more high priest. There's no more sacrifice for sin. He made the offering for that sin. Now we go through Jesus Christ. What a wonderful picture that was. And I just wanted to bring that up. So um, I hope that blessed you as it blessed me when we were reading through that uh, just last night uh, with my local church body. All right, um, let's get into chapter seven. Uh, before we read chapter 7, though, I want you to turn over real quick in your King James Bible to Genesis, Genesis chapter 14. So we're going to speak about this Melchizedek. So we need to get some basis here. We need to get some background of the first time 
he's mentioned in the Bible. Genesis 14, and we'll start in verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all, meaning Abraham gave Melchizedek tithes of all. Um, so that's the, that's the mention of Melchizedek there. Uh, the first thing I want you to mention, cause we'll see it here in, in uh, chapter seven, it's kind of a, almost a recapping of this, um, account. And remember the book of Hebrews is written for the Hebrews. Um, of course we can glean out of it. There is, it is profitable for us. Um, of course, but this is just explaining to Jews and to everyone, uh, who Jesus is. And so there's going to be some mentionings of some things that it's going to be recounted again here in Hebrews chapter 7. So the first thing I want you to notice here is the bread and wine. The bread and wine. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, verse 18 of chapter 14 of Genesis, brought forth bread and wine. Now that should, if you are a Christian, that should ring a, um, a bell, so to speak. The Spirit should be speaking to you right now and said, ooh, bread and wine. What's the correlation there? Uh, so there's several different accounts of what we call the Last Supper. Um, it's actually the Passover was being um, celebrated one more time by the Passover lamb. He said, I desire to, the, to eat the Passover. I'm paraphrasing right now, of course, but he, Jesus wanted to. He knew he was going to die. And um, he, he wanted to, to be with his disciples that one last time celebrating the Passover. And there's some future correlations to that because he says that I won't drink of this wine again until entering my kingdom, meaning the earthly kingdom that he's going to set up for a thousand years and so forth and so on. It says that bread is, is, his, is broken, it's his body. But um, so there's those different accounts, Matthew 26, Mark 14, uh, verses 22 through 25, and Luke 22, verses 15 through 20. But first, let's go. Let's just go ahead and read one of those. So Matthew, Matthew chapter twenty-six, Matthew chapter twenty-six, in verse twenty-six uh, through twenty-nine. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, "Take, eat. This is my body." And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, "Drink ye all of it." For this is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Oh, man, that's so good. The remission of sins there, the bread and the wine. Just keep that in mind, okay? It doesn't mean anything as, as of right now. It may be like, well, okay, that's a, that's a coincidence. But um, right now there's the bread and wine. And then it mentions something else there in Genesis. Uh, it mentions tithes. Now, um. I, I'm going to say some things that maybe are first time you may be hearing for the first time or maybe not. And you're just like, well, I don't really know what to think about that. But I encourage you to go to the Bible to think about what the tithes were. The tithes, um, as Jesus or God said, um, belong to me. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse and um, all these different things. I think that's in Malachi. Uh, there's different places where it speaks about the tithe. Now, 
the tithe had not been set up yet because this is still Abram. He hasn't even been named Abraham yet, but he paid tithe, which means tenth um, of all. All right, so just remember that um, the tithe means tenth. So with that in mind, as Christians today, okay, the under the law, the Jews had set up, uh, God set up for the, uh, the temple and for the Levites. Remember that they were the priesthood under the tribe of Levi. He had set up for them the ability to have food. And how he did that is that he had the other tribes pay tithes into the storehouse. They would bring in food and, and the you know these animals and different things like that because the Levites were forbidden from going and tilling the ground and doing that stuff. They were to be about the priesthood. So if that makes sense to you, so if you can't, if you're not able to, um, in an agricultural type community, farm, how do you eat? Well, you either, A, have people bring you food and you're able to eat that way, or they bring you money. Now, in today's society, you know, in today's church, we, people try to say, well, you, you know, the tithe belongs to the Lord. That's, and they're speaking of uh, money, of course. But I, I, I'm going to question something here. Let's go back and let's see where the, um, the tithing was set up by God. That's Le, uh, Leviticus chapter 27, Genesis, Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus chapter 27. And verse, let's start in verse 30. Leviticus chapter 27 starting in verse 30. This is all these Levitical laws that are being um, that are being written down here. And let's see here. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, it says, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land, notice that, that it's food, um, seed of the land, or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's, it is holy unto the Lord. And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithe, he shall add thereunto the fifth part thereof. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passes under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. All right, so I want to make mention now. If you notice there that the tenth belonged to the Lord. So if you brought tenth of your sheep to the storehouse there for the Le Levitical priesthood, or you brought um, fruit, or whatever it was that belonged to the Lord. A 10% of that belonged to the Lord, meaning for his Levitical priesthood that was set up there. Okay, so with that being said, what does it say there if you sell it? Notice there, it says, And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithe, he shall add thereunto a, the fifth part thereof. Now, what is a fifth? That's 20%. So if you're going to add uh, a fifth part thereof, that means tithe in money is actually over 20%. Now, I know this may be shocking to some people, but if you're bringing money into the storehouse, meaning if you think that that's bringing your tithe to God, biblically speaking, you should be bringing of your money, which is the fruit of your labor. You work, therefore, somebody gives you money, you're bringing that to church, well, the tithe is not actually 10%. A tithe of money is actually over 20% if you want to go by 
the Old Testament law. Now, I said all that to say this. As a New Testament Christian, God requires all of us. He said we are to be a living sacrifice, meaning that's everything, 100%. So when you ask how much belongs to the Lord, 100%. Well, how do I know how much to give? That's between you and God. If God lays something on your heart, as it says there in the New Testament there, that Paul was bringing for the necessity of the saints and, and the different things, they were collecting money. People were bringing way more than just 10%. So we strive to be biblically based around here. So if you have somebody saying, hey, the tithe belongs to the Lord, and they're teaching 10%, that's biblically inaccurate. 10% of money, if you want to teach the law, which I would say that the law has already been done away with through Jesus Christ. Remember, the veil was removed. Access now into the throne room is through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ requires all, just like that widow woman brought all that she had, and Jesus made note of it. As a New Testament Christian, our heart belongs to the Lord, and we are to be spirit-led in everything we do. That includes our giving. Am I teaching against giving? No, biblically speaking, everything belongs to the Lord whatever he wants you to give. And that's difficult to teach in a, in a, in a church because it's like people don't want to do that because people just want to do what they want to do. But biblically speaking, the tithe, if you want to, let's just throw all that out of the new Testament and you want to go back to the old Testament for your giving. Well, um, according to that, to be scriptural, you need to give over 20% of your money. Sorry. Um, that's, well, I'm not sorry. That's, that's Bible. So I just wanted to mention that it, that should not be controversial of a statement whatsoever. It's black and white there. You redeem food or your, or, or your sheep, then you're adding a fifth part thereof, meaning 20% at least. Okay. So when you redeem your time, meaning you go to work, you may not be a farmer, you may not be a, uh, a shepherd or whatever, but whatever you do that, um, get you to get paid money, whether that's myself being in the active duty military or anything, well, then if I'm going to go by that Old Testament uh, law, then I need to give over 20%. Is this making sense? I hope so. So let's be biblically based about everything we do, including our giving. All right. So I just wanted to mention that the bread and the wine, the tithes there in, for Melchizedek, and let's just go ahead and get now. One second. I don't, you can't see them, but my dogs are um, around my feet right now. They're in the studio, but that's okay as long as they're not barking. Uh, so turn over now back to Hebrews and let's get back into Hebrews 7. Let's try to get through it. So that first 15 minutes was just in a way of kind of introduction, talking about Melchizedek. I just wanted to mention the bread and the wine and the tithes. Why is that important? Because who do the tithes belong to? Whether you're in the Old Testament or now the giving belong to now, it's God. So I mentioned in the last video, I said, hey, spoiler alert. If you read, uh, if you watch the one about Hebrews 5 and 6, I said, spoiler alert. Melchizedek is a physical manifestation of God, meaning the Son of God or however you want to say it, but God in some sort of flesh, not corruptible flesh. As we'll see here in a second, the difference. 
But uh, Hebrews chapter 7, let's go ahead and get started. And speaking about who is Melchizedek. Who is Melchizedek? Verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, the tithe, first being by interpretation, king of righteousness. Now, if you have a Bible and you maybe have like a pencil or something you want to underline, let's underline these. King, capitalized, of righteousness. And after that also, king of Salem. Underline that as well, which is king of peace. Ooh, where is there's a verse talking about the prince of peace? So maybe this, I don't know. Without father, verse three, without mother, without descent, meaning having no children, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Okay, remember this, but made like unto the Son of God and abideth a priest continually. That's just the first three verses. So let's, that's a lot in there, so let's break it down. While we're breaking this down, turn over to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 6, and let's keep our, um, our finger there. 2 Timothy chapter 6. Again, if I'm going too fast, pause the video, uh, catch up with me. I want you guys to see this in the Bible. Oh, I said 2 Timothy 6. I meant 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm sorry. There is no 2 Timothy chapter 6, so that would be kind of difficult to go to. <laughs> so turn to 1 Timothy. That was a typo. Sorry about that. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 14. Okay, remember we read there just now uh, these these different kings. There was three kings there, or three mentions of a king. That's kind of special um, for the Godhead purposes. But it says here, King of Righteousness, and after that also King of Salem, which is King of Peace. So not saying there's the direct correlation there, but it's very interesting that there's three, King of Righteousness, King of Salem, and King of Peace. That's very, very interesting to me, especially speaking about the biblical Godhead of being body, soul, spirit, God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. So, very interesting. But, notice that. We read verse 2 there. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. So, in 1 Timothy... 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 14 says that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his time he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate. Potentate's um, an old word there, but it's you look that up, you know that that's, that's the like all-powerful one, the only potentate. King, the king of kings, notice that, and Lord of Lords, who only hath immortality, hmm, without beginning and without end of days, hmm, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen. It's interesting. Nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. I wonder who this King of Salem is. Notice, too, that King of Righteousness. Remember whose righteousness that we need to be clothed in in order to go to heaven, to be in the presence of God, clothed in Jesus' righteousness. And after that also, the king of Salem. Salem is Jerusalem. 
that's important for the thousand-year reign of Christ because according to prophecy in the millennial kingdom, he will sit on the throne of David there in Jerusalem. Um, okay, that's interesting. King of Salem, which is king of peace. Of course, we know the um, the verses there, Isaiah 9, 6. Roll over there real quick. Isaiah is rich, full. I don't know if we'll ever do a study of Isaiah because just like every other chapter chapters and books in the Bible, it is just chock full of stuff and it would take a long time. But look at Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, very famous verse. It's read every year um, for unto us, a child is born unto us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, the mighty God the everlasting father, the prince of peace, king of peace, king of peace. So who is this Melchizedek? The one and only potentate. It's Jesus Christ. Okay. Son of God. At the name of Jesus, every name shall, uh, every knee shall bow. He is the one and only potentate, king of kings, Lord of lords. He is the body. He is the, um, as we read there in Hebrews chapter one, he is the uh, express image. God, he is the physical manifestation of God. What we can see, no man has ever seen God. And while you're seeing God here, that must be a contradiction. No, there when it says no man has seen God, it's talking about God the Father, who's a soul, Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit. Um, I don't know why that's controversial because they can separate. They are, or can be totally different places at once. They have totally different roles, uh, things that they do. There's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You still have the Father and Jesus Christ because it's one God, one being made up of body, soul, spirit. It all comes together, all of it. But Melchizedek here, who met Abraham, Abraham was speaking to Jesus Christ. Melchizedek was Jesus. I, who else could this be? If somebody um, has an answer for me as far as who else this could possibly be, and they want to go to the Bible and show this just plainly from the Bible, which I believe this is just about as plain as you can get, um, then I, I'm willing to have my mind changed. Absolutely have, willing to have my mind changed on anything that I say here, as long as you come through with with the Bible and say, thus saith the Lord. God's word says this very clearly, here, here, and here, and here. This is where you're in error because of here, 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 and here. I welcome that. Please bring that. But who else could this be? Remember what Hebrews is about. What's the theme of this entire book? And who is it to? The theme is Jesus. Who's it to? The Jews, also to us. Um, that's what the theme is. You'll see it time and time and time and time again in Hebrews saying, hey, Jesus, all these things in the Old Testament that were a mystery to you and has now been revealed to us. Paul says the mystery has been revealed to us, this dispensation to us were given to us now. We have the Holy Spirit of God that can teach us these things. We can see those symbolic things and we can see those manifestations or People call them Christophanes or whatever. That's a famous, just a fancy word for saying it was God in uh, in the flesh.
but it wasn't corruptible flesh. Here's the difference. So we have corruptible flesh. It's going to die. When God took on the form of like any flesh anywhere in the, in the Bible, anytime he's mentioned, remember he spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in this instance, when he's speaking to Abraham and he's in the, he's called Melchizedek, when, when that happens, he doesn't have corruptible flesh. Notice here in chapter 7, though, it says, without father, this is verse 3, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Now, here's the difference. Jesus Christ took on the form of a servant. He had to. God in the flesh, corruptible flesh, that was had the ability to die. Jesus Christ did have end of life. But he rose again on the third day. These are some of the weightier matters or the deeper matters, the meat of the word. But God, just understand the simple milk of the word is that God was manifest in the flesh and died for you and me and rose again on the third day. And we need to put our faith and trust in his work and his righteousness for salvation. That's the simplicity of it. When you start talking about he was fully God and fully man at the same time, having corruptible flesh, meaning that it had the capability of dying. Those are, those are some long studies to do, and you need to be um, a little bit more prepared in the word. But I want to mention these things now, what the difference is. There is no contradictions in this word of God. There's none. Zero. So it says having, you say, well, he had end of life. If you think this is Jesus, he had end of life. He rose again. This is God in the flesh that's not corruptible flesh. One day, brothers and sisters out there, we are also going to put on incorruption. Start thinking about that, you start getting super excited. At least I do. That one day, as we've, we've read before, that Paul says that our, our body groans, this flesh groans for that day of redemption. That day of redemption is when body, soul, and spirit is completely redeemed. Your soul and your spirit are right now, but you still have this corruptible flesh. One day, we're either caught up out of here, the catching away of the bride, or it says the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we put on incorruption, just like it was at the beginning with Adam and Eve. How did that get ruined? Sin entered into the world. That's where this flesh got corrupted. But one day, one day, that's going to be all over with. And then we will have no end of life. Whether you die now or whatever, it doesn't matter. If you're in Christ, you will never die. Spiritually, you'll be alive. Soul will be alive. Your flesh may be laying in the ground there, but um, one day it's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new body that will never die, that will forever and ever and ever worship the King of righteousness, Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus, every, name, uh, every knee will bow. Um, if that wasn't enough, look in verse three, but made like unto the son of God abideth the priest continually. Now this should ring true or ring, um, familiar to you. If you have read your Bible enough and you've been through, um, any type of teaching of the Bible, go back to the old Testament again. See how we keep going from old to new Testament, old to new Testament, back and forth, old, new. It's because it all speaks and it all 
um, matches up line by line, precept upon precept. It was a mystery to them back then. They didn't have any idea, but that mystery was revealed, by the way, through the Apostle Paul, who said that it was given to him to give it to us um, through the Holy Spirit. That's why those Pauline epistles are very important to us now in this dispensation. Um, Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Hopefully I'm not going too fast for you. Rewind. Watch this again. Show it over and over again. Test this spirit right now through the word of God. If something I'm saying is a spirit of error, you need to show me from the spirit of truth, which is the word of God. All right, so Daniel chapter 3 and verse 24. This is talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that are placed in the fiery furnace for refusing to bow before the image of the great king Nebuchadnezzar, which is also another symbolic thing of what's going to happen in the time of Jacob's trouble. These Jewish boys, Jacob is Israel, the Jewish nation, are in front of a false king, a king that's putting himself up to be like the most high God. He's like, worship me, bow down. And these that's a very much a similar to the time of Jacob's trouble where we'll be, um, excuse me, not will be, but the Jewish nation and those that are here during the time of Jacob's trouble will be forced to either bow down and take the mark or have their head cut off. In this case, this is the fiery furnace. Let's read here. Let's read here in chap chapter 3 and verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished. Means he was like uh, mouth wide open and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. And or he answered and said, Lo, I see four men, men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth in the midst of the fire. And you can read on further down there how that goes. But uh, also somebody else, the Antichrist, which Nebuchadnezzar is a picture of here in this case, the Antichrist will bow down and say the same thing when he's cast into the lake of fire with the false prophet and Satan's bound in chains for a thousand years, as you'll read in the, in the book of Revelation. So very good parallel there. Uh, but notice there, it says the son of God. Also in verse one, uh, priests of the most high God, most high God and the son of God, like unto the son of God. It's just amazing how, I just don't see who else this could be because he receives praise from Abraham. He receives tithes, which belongs to the Lord. And this is before the Levitical law, as we'll, we'll read down here further down in chapter seven. Um, I don't see who else it could be. Uh, biblically speaking, Melchizedek was God in the flesh or a physical form, however you want to put it. I, it doesn't matter to me. He wasn't in corruptible flesh at that time. He hadn't taken on a form of a servant yet. Um, but yeah, so let's read, uh, the, this next block of verses here. We're going to read from chapter seven, verse four of Hebrews down through verse 14. 
Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment, listen to this, to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises, and without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes. Speaking about the Old Testament law, they were still living at the, apparently at this point with that system still in place. Um, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witness that he liveth, because he lives. And as I may say, so or so say, Levi also, who receiveth tithes, this is the obviously the priesthood, paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. See, Levi was the son of Jacob, Jacob was the son of Isaac, and Isaac was the son of Abraham. So before those generations even came about, and the priesthood was even established under, you know, Moses, who was of the tribe of Levi there's these tithes being paid. Who else is worthy of receiving these tithes other than God? And I ask you that. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, verse 11, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek, who's that? It's Jesus Christ, and not be called after the order of Aaron. Again, Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. When he took on the physical form of a servant he came through both his on his mother's side and his stepfather if you want to put a label on it they were both of the tribe of judah because that was where the king the king was out of that's the line of david that's the kingly line the line of judah the priesthood line was the line of levi well jesus was a priest and a king by the way get saved born again we are now priests and kings they say that in in revelation where it said thou hast made us priests and kings that's us we as priests now can go to the throne room of god because we've already entered in through the veil which is his flesh jesus christ man it's so beautiful wow it's so beautiful and we're kings we'll rule and reign forever and ever through christ jesus who has made us kings. Wow. So, so, so good. Um, verse 11 there. Yes. After the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron for the priesthood being changed, there is made of a necessity, a change also of the law for he of whom, by the way, if anybody wants to try to put you under the law, this is why I mentioned the tithe earlier. Look at this. There was a change. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. He said, it is finished. It's over. Now, are we to just, well, we can just live however we want to now. No, we are to live godly in Christ Jesus. We are to be spirit-led, spirit-filled Christians that have a difference about us, of course. Shall, shall we sin that grace may abound, as Paul says? God forbid, as, as it says there, that's in Romans. Yes. If I'm wrong on that, correct me in the comments. But um, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. It's either that or Galatians. Anyways, 
um, verse 12, for the priesthood being changed, there is made a necessity to change also the law. Verse 13, for he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. There's nobody of the tribe of Judah doing that. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. Well, that's, well, if he already knew that Jesus would come and die for our sins, then well, how did he not know that he was the, uh, the priest of the priesthood? Um, again, this is why dispensational teaching is so important. And if you don't know what that is, and if, if you, somebody's got you confused by teaching some other form of that, dispensation just means for a different time, God has given a commandment for this is your, how you are to live. This is salvation in this time. Do this. Have faith in what I've said to do. For us now, it's faith in his finished work on the cross. He completed it. That's what we're supposed to have faith and trust in. Now, we'll get into more of this in Hebrews. It's going to mention uh, faith in chapter 11. And yet, oh, and it is yet, this is verse uh, 15, far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest. Okay. By the way, if, if Jesus is somehow out of the order of Melchizedek, meaning that the Bible's contradicting itself, saying that Melchizedek had a line somehow or another. Well, we don't, that's not the case because the line of Judah came out of the seed of Abraham. So there was no descent. There was no children given. So if Jesus was somehow of the lineage of Melchizedek or he was somehow under subjection to uh, that somehow that, well, that's, that's where he came from. That's not what I was talking about. It's similar to Melchizedek because he was Melchizedek. God. Jesus was God. All of them. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I, I don't, I seriously don't understand how this is a controversial statement that I just made. I don't understand it. The Bible is explicitly clear that God was manifest in the flesh. And if we, as we looked last time in, in 1 John 4, if somebody is teaching something different, that he was not fully God in the flesh, that is the spirit of Antichrist. I don't know what else to tell you, except for what the Word of God says. That's the spirit of error, not the spirit of truth. All right. Verse 16, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. Carnal commandment, carnal meaning just, you know, physical. This is the physical world. This is the carnal world. Uh, that's where we get the root word carnival. Uh, you go to the carnival. It's the things that you do on a day-to-day -day basis, but it brings you pleasure. There's the, it, That's the carnal. That's the things that will end eventually. But notice, but after the power of an endless life. Those are the those are the eternal, the carnal, the the uh, the temporal, the things that are just temporary in this life. Those things are all in, but the endless life that's here, that it's speaking of, is the eternal that we should be living in, looking forward to the eternity, doing things for the eternal, um, the eternal uh, rewards, benefits. Verse 17, for he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We read that in Psalms 110, verse 4. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment. Disannulling means, uh, in today's term, a disannulment means like you get your marriage annulled. Disannulment means, you know, done away with. 
of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. It's been done away with. It's weak. For the law made nothing perfect. I'll say it again because the word of God says it very clearly. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by which we draw nigh unto God. That blessed hope, Jesus Christ, and inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest. Yes, for those priests were made without an oath, but this was an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Psalms 110 verse 4. Speaking of Jesus Christ, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament, and they truly were made or were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. Simply saying that these priests died. These physical priests that were of this Levitical priesthood that the the children of Israel venerated is like, oh, you know, there goes the priests, you know, the the Pharisees, you know, they they walked around with with uh, you know, the robes and flowing robes, and they said, oh, Look at me. I'm of the priesthood of Le- Levi. I'm of the Levitical priesthood, placing themselves high and lifted up. Yeah, they died. It says right here, they it, it just they suffered to con- uh, not suffered to continue by reason of death. They could not live forever. But that's why he's a more perfect priest because he liveth forever and ever. But this man, because he continueth ever hath an unchangeable priesthood yes again yes amen and amen wherefore he is able to also to save them to the uttermost that come unto god by him seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them hebrews chapter 7 is awesome awesome maketh intercession for them that way the devil comes up there and says look at look at look at your uh your saved person down here this son of this son of god here this this Christian, look what he's doing. And he said, Yeah, I know. But Father, can you see that? Nope, can't see that because he's looking through the blood. Yeah, look through my blood. The veil. We're covered in his righteousness. Man, it's so good. Um wow. Unchangeable priesthood, where he's also able to save them to the uttermost. There is a song that says, Saved to the uttermost, I know that I am washed in the blood of the precious Lamb. Wow. All right, verse twenty-six. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice. This is meaning for themselves because he was without sin, first for his own sins and then for the people's. Remember, speaking of those carnal priests, those ones that die, they're still in their flesh. Every single day they had to offer up sacrifices, first for their own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Now this is speaking of Jesus. He offered himself up once. Remember I talked about in, in uh, I think it was last chapter. Yes, it's impossible for those who were once enlightened and having tasted of the heavenly gift. This is verse four, chapter six, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have a taste of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Meaning he's not gonna he doesn't need to do that. His blood was sufficient for you. 
period. He only had to die once. He said, into my hand, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. All those things that he said is because his blood was sufficient to cover the sins of the world. Every single one of them. Christian, that should encourage you to live in the spirit every day. And it's convicting me right now, just thinking about it, how much I fall short of that on a day-to-day basis because of this flesh. And it makes me angry in my flesh. I'm like, ah, that's the struggle. But live every day and more and more in the spirit to overcome that flesh. Because remember, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We don't have to be subject to that flesh because we have the Holy Spirit of God. All right. Uh, Verse 27. No, verse 28. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. That infirmity, remember, is sin. But the word of an oath, which was since the law, maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. Hebrews chapter 7. What an amazing book. There's, we could have literally spent way more time on that. Um, but I, I just wanted to point out those things um, that Hebrews chapter 7 has to offer there. Um, again, if there's disagreement, if somehow or another, I, I'd heard, um, I think this was from another brother that's on, uh, that's on YouTube. He, uh, he had a video speaking of Melchizedek, which was very awesome. I might figure out a way to the link to that in the um, description box. I think I did that for another brother's uh, video. But anyways, he, he spoke about that, how some people has said that this could possibly be Shem, which is one of the sons of Noah. Uh, I had never heard that before, that even I would even think that. As far back as I can remember, when I read this and I look at Melchizedek, I'm like, oh, that's Jesus. That's that's God. I, I don't understand how this is even a uh, controversy. But again, if you're out there and you believe that, you have to show me from the scriptures. Okay. And, and uh, I guess prove that spirit from the spirit of truth. Or else it's the spirit of error and I don't want to have anything to do with it. So... All right. Thank you for joining me here on uh, Let This Mind Be In You. Uh, This is more of a produced video. This wasn't a live video, obviously, but um, I really appreciate anybody that watches this video. And just think about the words that are in Hebrews chapter 7. If you're not saved, I encourage you today to get your sins forgiven because he's already paid the price. The high priest, the more perfect high priest, the one that will never die, who is the order of Melchizedek forever, never die the alpha and the omega took on the form of a servant died for you and me won't you get saved today won't won't you come to the end of yourself come to the end of your righteousness because they're no good if you could save yourself why did jesus christ die on the cross it's because he lived a sinless life and he was the perfect lamb that was laid down and sacrificed himself for you stood before Pilate and opened not his mouth as a sheep going to the slaughter. So beautiful. Um, So I pray that that happens for you today. Write me. Write a comment um, or get a hold of me. Um, Remember, we have this will be a podcast on Apple Podcasts under Let This Mind Be In You. You can find, uh, you can get a hold of me on Let This Mind Be In You Ministries. Type that into the search block there on Facebook. You'll go right to our page. Um, Write me here. Write a comment, 
here uh, down below on um, in the comments section here on YouTube. Let me know you watched this video, what you thought. Um, but again, I, I would love to talk to anybody more about their the possibility through the Holy Spirit conviction and his sealing that you will one day be a priest and king with me and will serve and uh, praise God forever and ever and ever because he has made us priests and kings because he was the more perfect priest, as Hebrews chapter 7 says, the after the order of Melchizedek, because he was Melchizedek. It's just awesome. So thank you for joining me here on Let This Mind Be In You. Um, I really, really love the book of Hebrews here as we're going through it. Um, so that'll be it for right now. Thank you so much. And join me next time as we'll get into Hebrews chapter 8 or some other video as the Lord wills. Um, God bless. And brothers and sisters in Christ, be in the Word of God every single day. Walk with the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Feed this, feed yourself the Word of God, not your flesh. Sacrifice. Die daily to your, your own needs and wants and desires and follow only after what He has for you. All right? God bless. Thanks again for watching on Let This Mind Be In You. See you next time.